Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. Good morning. That was pretty good. It's pretty good. That is beautiful Sunday morning. Welcome to worship at East Baltimore Graffiti Church. One of the things I love about this particular room uh, is the light that we get because of the position of our building. I love, I love, love, love the big sunlight in here on these beautiful mornings. Uh, we get to uh, revel in God's creation a little bit even during worship. Amen. So there was a guy that I greatly admire. He lived a long time ago. His name was George Mueller. George Mueller was born on September 28th in 1805, and he lived until March the 10th, 1898. Mueller, George Mueller was not always a person of such great faith and good character. As a young boy growing up in Germany in the early 1800s, he often stole money from his dad. As a teenager, he sneaked out Um, of a hotel twice without paying for the room. One time he was caught by police and put in jail. As a Bible college student, George loved going to bars, drinking, gambling, and being the life of the party. He also loved making fun of people, especially Christians. One day a friend invited George to go to an off-campus Bible study He went only because he wanted to make fun of the Christians later on. He liked the Bible study, though. And for the first time, he saw people who really knew and loved God. He attended each evening. Before the end of the week, he knelt at his bed and asked God to forgive him his sins. George's friends saw a change in him immediately. He no longer went to bars or made fun of people. He spent more time reading his Bible, talking about God, and going to church. Soon he found that his friends did not want to be around him anymore. But here's here's where it gets good. George went back to college without knowing how he was going to pay his tuition. He did something that he thought was a bit silly for a grown man to do. He got down on his knees and asked God to provide. To his surprise, an hour later, a professor knocked on his door. He offered George a paid tutoring job. George was amazed. This was the beginning of George Mueller's dependence on God in prayer. Let me tell you what this guy went on to do. He started an orphanage for um, homeless children that saved thousands and thousands of lives, sharing the love of Christ for them. And there are a hundred of these stories in a book about him if you ever read his biography. The children are dressed one morning and they're ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage had informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food, the food that wasn't there. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need this bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you and I will bring it in. 
Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 hungry, thirsty children. George Mueller got on his knees that day when he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. He got on his knees again when he didn't know how he would pay his tuition. And then this man spent the rest of his life being a living miracle, ser- preaching and serving thousands of children um, who came to know Christ and had a home where they were loved because of his faithfulness. But these crazy, crazy stories of prayer all throughout, if you ever get a chance to read a like a biography or a story of his life, I encourage you to do so. Because this guy just lived in prayer and trusted God. And this brings us this morning to our Paul's second prayer in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Remember, he wanted to start this prayer. He wanted to start this prayer in the beginning of the chapter. We talked about that last week. And then he said the topic they were talking about prior to that was so important. This idea that Jews and Gentiles, people who didn't look like each other, didn't worship like each other, didn't live in the same places, didn't eat the same foods, but because of Jesus Christ, people who formerly hated each other could come in as children of God, saved by Jesus, and love one another and be God's church. So Paul says, he's getting ready to pray, and he says, nope, I just can't pray yet. I got to talk about it some more. But, you know, I'm not going to do that because we did that last week. So today he finally gets to the prayer in verse 14, right? Uh, Sarah read, thank you, Sarah, for reading and praying for us this morning. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So Paul's uh, praying for power is the title of this morning's section here in Ephesians chapter 3. After today, after spoiler alert, right? After today, we will be moving from, and, and I want to be thoughtful about how I say this, but we're going to be moving from this, this first three chapters of theology about who God is, the love of Christ, salvation, prayer, how people, how we can have unity in the church, how people who don't look like each other and, and don't, and, and come from different places, how we can come together for, for the purpose of the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ and we can love one another and be a light to a lost and dying world. But, but now, but now after today, we're going to move to the more working out of this theology. So now we've heard all this good stuff about who God is and how much he loves us, how we're to love one another, how we're to tell people about Jesus, how we're supposed to do our part to have unity in the church. And next week, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of what this looks like in my life, living it out. So the prayer here today, the power of uh, praying for power. Praying for power. The very first slide here uh, says, Paul's preparing to pray. There's a few things here that Paul does. And I'm going um, to be honest with you today with, without, uh, without a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm just saying, I am coming and, and preaching today from a position of humility. And you may hear me say that from time to time. And what that means is, I've read God's Word and I'm thoroughly convinced and convicted that, that I am not the man of prayer that, that I need to be, that God has called me to be. I am not living, 
I am not living and leaning into obedience um, 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 that God has called me to as a person of prayer. But, but I'm sharing this scripture with you because God is just convincing me this week in my own life how and where I need to grow in my walk with him. So Paul is preparing to pray here, and we see, um, we're going to see four things here in the preparation for prayer, okay, in verses 14 uh, and 15. The first thing we're going to see is Paul's position in prayer. I know, right, all that alliteration. I, worked, I didn't have to work too hard for it this week. But Paul says, I bow my knees. You heard it in worship this morning um, on that Selene do a week in and week out. But you know, I bow my knees. Paul assumes a position of humility and vulnerability. What does that mean? So I like to watch these movies and series, Diane and I do, about like the Middle Ages and all the um, kings and the battles in Europe and how the countries in Europe became the countries that they are now. And of course, what we're watching is a little bit of history and a lot of fiction, but, but it's good stuff, right? And sometimes you'll see a guy will come in before the king. And last, the other day we were watching one, and it wasn't clear because of the trouble going on that when the man knelt down in front of the king, he was in this very vulnerable position. The king was standing in front of him holding a sword. And it wasn't clear whether the king was going to kill him for disobeying or bless him and send him back out. But the, the man, he, had, he was totally vulnerable to the king. So when Paul says he bows his knee, he is taking a position uh, in front of God in God's presence. He's taking this position of humility um, and making himself vulnerable to God so that he is in the right heart and the right frame of mind when he prays. Do you always have to kneel to pray? No. Sometimes should I be on my face on the floor in front of God weeping? Sometimes. So my pastor did this one time, and, and I was a young man, and my wife and I were in church, and he laid on the carpet and laid prostrate with his face in the carpet in front of God because he wanted us to have this picture of being in a humble, vulnerable position of prayer in front of God Almighty, creator of the universe. And that is what it should be like when you and I have the privilege to pray. I know you're wondering, is he going to stand back up? Yes, if I can, yes, I will. <laughs> and so Paul and his Isaiah... I didn't put them on the screen. I want to read something powerful. Isaiah 45, 23. Isaiah 45, 23. And Paul quotes it in Romans as well, I believe. I have sworn by myself, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength, Men will come to him, and all who were angry at him will be put to shame. Every man, every woman, someday in judgment is going to bow to Jesus Christ and confess. And for some, it may be too late. 
for some. And then there's something else here. Um, um, Paul recognizes what he's about to do. He's about to be in the presence of God Almighty, creator of the universe. And I know that it is like this because he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I am about to get on my knees and ask to come into the presence of the God who created every living thing, every living human being, the God who has existed from eternity past and will ex- continue to exist as Father, Son, and Spirit into eternity future, he says, from whom every family derives its name. You know, there's also something about unity there too, right? Today in this room, we do not all look alike, but we all derive our names and our very being from the same God, amen, because there's only one. Paul says, this, um, I bow my knees before my father. He says, um, so Paul says, he knows there should be something of just a little bit fearful and maybe just a little bit, just a little bit frightening to come into the presence of God Almighty, creator of the universe. We have access, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to talk about that yet. In 1 Kings 19, in 1 Kings 19, Um, God tells Elijah, he says, I have spared, I will spare a remnant of 7,000 people who have not bowed their knee to Baal. They have not given themselves over to the current culture. They have not bowed their knee to the pagan God. They have not succumbed to the culture to just do what the king says you have to do. God says, I'm sparing 7,000. And you know what Elijah did, right? One of my favorite accounts in the entire word of God, that all the prophets of Baal got up and they couldn't bring down the fire on the sacrifice. And and Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal. I love to talk about that, right? And then Elijah called down the fire and Elijah called out in the name of the living God. But Elijah, but God was working there And he said, there are 7,000 in the remnant of Israel who have not bowed. God is always preserving a remnant of people in every time and every culture who are going to be faithful to him. I want to be part of that remnant in Baltimore City, in the state of Maryland, or in 2023 and however long God allows me to live and be part of this thing, I want to be part of that faithful remnant. Sometimes we fall down, right? I'm not saying maybe even metaphorically, I'm saying sometimes I may fall to the culture. We all have that besetting sin, right, that we are susceptible to. And, and, and I'm not saying we bow our knee to a pagan God, but I'm saying sometimes, sometimes the spiritual warfare and the culture is calling out to us. And we're at risk. But nevertheless, so Paul has this position of humility. He recognizes he's in the presence of Almighty God. And we are reminded through what Paul is doing um, just the other week in verse 12, a couple of verses above. He says, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose, which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Paul knew that he had access to God's ear. God Almighty, 
Paul had God's ear whenever he desired because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're a child of God, saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you have access. Hey, God, is me. Can we talk for a minute? And the answer is always yes. Why? Because, because D here, I did it well this time for a change. D here, we know because he's father and, and we are his children and he is our daddy. He uses this in the Greek language and there's a play on words right here in 14 and 15 between patera and patria. Patera, right, in several, um, some of you who speak other languages, I don't even pretend to. I'm not even real good with the English language. But that word for father might be familiar in some other languages. And then the word patria, which is very similar to that word, which is family. So Paul knew he was family. He knows that God is his father, and he knows that he has access through prayer to his daddy. That should be encouraging I will tell you, I neglect my privilege. I neglect my privilege often. And um, God really convinced, convinced and convicted me of that this week. Um, so much so that I miss out sometimes on the good things that God might have for me um, as a result of that. Now you could question that last statement theologically, so I'll stop there. But we have this picture that Paul's painting of father and child. And because you're his child, Christian, you have access to God. As a matter of fact, what did Jesus say? We'll see it in the next two slides here. He says, and when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they will be seen by people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward already or in full. But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room. Close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Next slide. And when you are praying, do not use thoughtless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. So do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And you know, following that, Jesus said, but pray in this way. And of course, um, we're not going to recite the Lord's Prayer right at this moment. But here is Jesus teaching, teaching the disciples how to pray. So here Paul is. Now Paul has positioned himself. He's in God's presence. He knows he has access to, to, his, to, his, to his father. And now we're going to get to the good part is Paul's petition. Now, this is interesting. Uh, number two in verses 16 through 19, um, Paul, Paul will frustrate the best grammar student in the world uh, with his run-on sentences and prepositional phrases before his verbs. And, and he, Paul drives me crazy. But here is the thing, and I believe this. Um, I believe it is accurate that there was only one prayer request here and then a couple of purposes and results that will come about uh, as a result of that prayer request. So here we go, uh, and I really love this. So here's Paul's petition, right, in verses 16 through 19. He says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So here's the request. 
I want you to be, um, I want you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner man. Paul wants individual believers, okay, and, and the language here, he wants individual believers who, when they come together, make up his church. He wants individual believers to have this power and strength that only comes from God, okay? Well, and we, excuse me, through the Holy Spirit. So, Paul's petition, next slide. We see two powerful, two powerful, I'm being like slightly cheeky here, two powerful words are used for power here in verse 16. Um, and I'm going to quote Honer because he says it way better <clears throat> than I would spend two hours and still not say it as well as he does. But in Luke 180 and 240, it states... It states that Jesus grew and became strong in spirit and wisdom. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul exhorts believers to stand firm in the faith, um, stand firm in the faith and be courageous, be strong. And in the present context, Paul prays that God may grant the Ephesians to be strengthened with power and ability. Now, here's where it gets just a little bit nerdy. Indulge me because this is, this is a real important piece here this morning. The, um, I'm sorry guys, excuse me. I had this in a better, um, a better piece here. Here we go. The passive voice, and Paul is speaking in the passive here, the passive voice reinforces the idea, and here's the important part for me, and this is where God, this is where God gets me this week, that it is God who gives the strength. It is not self-endowed. I do not have this strength and this power in and of myself. So, this word dunamis or dunamis is, is literally, we talked about that in chapter one, right? It's where um, we get the word dynamite from. It is the ability or the capability of acting. And let me read 119 for you before I finish the quote. He says, and remember, this is Paul's first prayer, right? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. So God's power, um, God's might, God's strength, God's power at work in you and me. But it is his, it is being given to us through him. And he says it again, um, Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus Christ, the one who rules, the one who has all power and all authority, along with God the Father and in the Holy Spirit, shares that with you and me. The important thing is here, and sometimes we kill ourselves Excuse me. Sometimes I kill myself trying to do it in my own strength. I want to be a good person. I want to reform. 
I want to be a better fill in the blank, right? Um, I want to be a better person in this area of my life. I'm going to double down. I'm not going to cuss this week. Um, I'm not going to treat you. I'm not going to treat you poorly, no matter what you say to me this week. Um, I don't know. You fill in. You fill in the blank. I'm not confessing all my sins today. And two seven, Paul says, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So it is Jesus Christ here. And so, so how do we know this? We, we talked about Paul's first prayer. It is through God's Spirit. We see it right there in verse 16, right? It is through God's Spirit that the believer is to be strengthened with God's ability to act. God will give you the courage. He will give you both pieces of this. Uh, maybe you see the somewhat English spellings of these Greek words. Um, I do want to read. Um, do want to read First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. I think I can do that here. Paul says to the believers at Corinth, "Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith." Act like men, be strong. Paul exhorts the believers to stand firm in the Lord. He said this is God-given strength. We can't crank this out on our own. I can't crank this out on my own. I have tried. I have tried recently, sometimes because I'm proud, sometimes because I'm hard-headed, um, Several other reasons, right? You don't want to hear them all. But so we have these two powerful words here used for God's power in verse 16. Then also we see, he says, according to the riches of his glory, according to the amazing wealth that is God's. God owns everything. God created everything. Remember we talked about, remember we talked about the manifold wisdom of God? And we said it was like that kaleidoscope. All these, every time you turn that kaleidoscope, you see a different piece in the kaleidoscope. So you see a different piece of God's wisdom. Here today, similar, not the same, but similar, we see that we see the, um, according to the riches, God's wealth for God's glory that he is willing to share with you and me. God is willing to share and give you the power, the strength, the courage that you and I need to do, be who he's called us to be. And then he says, um, and then he also says, uh, with power, again, strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So he says being strengthened in the inner man. So, this is a power, um, this is a strength, not on the outside, right? Not like physical strength, like, like in your youth up until, I won't even put an age on it, but in your youth you feel good, you look good, you feel strong, right? The muscles go this way and not this way, right? Some of us are starting to experience the other side of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> But, but not this outward power, but being strengthened in the inner man. And when God is strengthening you in the inner man and woman, when God is strengthening you, 
it will become apparent to those around you. There is something that we do have to do. It is God's power, God's strength through the Holy Spirit. But even as followers of Jesus, we can be disobedient and we cannot be, we can at times not be walking in the Spirit and therefore not receiving the strength and the power we need to be strengthened in the inner man. Lately, I have said a couple of times, unfortunately, probably in front of a few of you, I have said, I am tired. I have said, I am just tired. And you know what that is? Um, confession number two, I said I wasn't going to do that today. That, that is living, that, some days that is walking and living in the flesh. Now, do you get tired? Some, yes. Is, are you human? Yes. Does Jesus still love you? Yes. But, but sometimes that, that is a pattern of living in the flesh and not allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way. Because the Bible says he will renew me and strengthen me in the inner man. Matter of fact, um, you know, the, uh, the Corinthians were wild. Paul had a lot to say to them. I kind of think I would have gotten along and fit in just fine in, a, in the Corinthian church. But Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. God, through His Holy Spirit, will renew your strength day by day if you and I do what Paul is talking about here. So in the inner person, being strengthened. And then what is the result? So now we're going to see result and purpose, result and purpose, and then we'll be done and you can go home, right? Um, but see here, he says, what is the result or the why? And how do I know? When you see a so that or a that, right, in the next verse, we, we know that it's talking about purpose and res or, or, or result. And Paul says, and so Paul says here, um, so that Christ may dwell in you, in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, and he goes on with another 30, 100, that's what my grandson would say, another 30, 100 word sentence here we'll get to. But he says the result is that we can live and dwell, or Christ is dwelling in us, so that Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith. What is this idea of abiding or dwelling? We could go right to John chapter 15, right? Abide in me, Jesus says, and I will abide in you and you will produce fruit in your life. But we have this idea that Jesus will take up abode. He will make a settled, I use the word long-term dwelling place in me. This idea in the language to live, to dwell, to take up abode, and to make a settled dwelling place. So now we have Jesus Christ dwelling in your heart through faith. And then he says a couple of things here um, again. Well, hold on before I speed off. This is not, this is important. This is not a reference to Christ's indwelling of the believer at the time of his salvation. It is not that indwelling. Rather, it is that Christ may be at home in, that is, at the very, at home in you, at home in me, 
at the very center of or deeply rooted in the believer's lives. That Jesus Christ is at the center of your inner man. He is at the center, at the core, at the very um, deeply rooted in your life and mine. Christ must become, and I'm quoting Honer again, um, Christ must become the controlling factor, and this is a big point of conviction for me, a controlling factor in all of my attitudes and conduct. So Christian, is Jesus Christ a controlling factor in my attitudes and behavior? Uh, was he this past week? Was he this morning when I woke up? I, only you know the answer for you, right? So, And you don't have to tell me right now. He says, but the heart... So the heart is the center of the person where worship and motivation for obedience takes place. But it is also the place where the heart can become hardened and one strays from closeness with God. Straight a little bit from Honer's quote, those, that last sentence was me. This very core of the person is to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit resulting in the deep indwelling of Christ in one's heart by faith. What you are seeing here, and Diane and I talk about this often because of its importance, we see Paul bowing his knee before the Father. We see the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit giving us the strength that we need and Jesus Christ dwelling, deeply centered and rooted, dwelling inside of us. We see God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit all at work in my life. God loves you that much. God loves me that much. So we see the result, right? And again, D, we're moving on, next slide. Understanding and knowing the love of Christ. I don't want to oversimplify this, but he says... Um, so that you may be rooted and grounded in love. We talked about, as a matter of fact, you know what's one of the coolest things I've seen in the city? It's bad for people if you've ever, if you've ever taken a walk and unlike most of my friends in Baltimore, you try to walk on the sidewalk instead of the middle of the street. I mean, but sometimes the sidewalk can be dangerous and here's why. Here's why. Because there's trees, everyone wants to plant trees and have tree-lined streets. Oh, that's so pretty. And then 30 years later, these tree roots, they grow out, they grow down, they grow across, and all of a sudden the tree root this big around bursts up through the sidewalk, and the sidewalk that you are walking on or jogging on, all of a sudden it goes like this, and then it goes like this, and then you go like this, right? And I know why some of my friends walk in the street, I just try hard not to run them over if I'm driving, but, but, but the power of those roots keeping that tree alive, being rooted and grounded, being rooted and grounded um, in this love. And also that you may be able to comprehend, and now we are getting to this slide, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. So when the Bible uses this type of language, especially in poetry, it, it's called a mirrorism. It just means that it's all-encompassing that you will know and understand the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length of the love of Christ. 
not just the love of Christ, but the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. So we have, so we have two results here of the prayer request and two purposes, right? And here's another purpose that we can understand and know the love of Christ that is dwelling, that is dwelling in us because it surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So we see understanding and knowing the love of Christ filling you and me up. Sometimes other things get in there and take up space. They take up space in me and the fullness of God's love is, is there's not an, I push out some of the fullness of God's love because there's some me and some selfishness and some sinfulness taking up space where it doesn't belong. So how do we do this, Paul? Next slide, E, we get purpose. We get purpose number two here. Purpose number two, and how do I know that? It answers a why. Paul's praying this prayer request for, for the Ephesian believers individually so that when they come together as a church, they'll have unity and love that will make other people want to know, cause other people to want to know Christ. But he says, so that we will be filled up with God's moral character. So that we, and I, I stole, I stole the words "God's moral character" right out of one of my books, but so that we can be filled up with God's moral character. I need that. I need that yesterday. I, I need that today. If I were to look in just a couple of pages, Colossians two nine says this: "For in Him." All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. In him the fullness of all the de deity dwells. And he, he doesn't share his deity with us, but he, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit working together, working together for your good to give you the strength and the power that you and I need so that we can have our inner man being renewed day by day with Christ dwelling in us, understanding and growing in our understanding of the love of Christ, being filled so that we are able to be filled up with God's moral character and 19 and 20 are just Paul's doxology, closing of his prayer, right? Paul starts his prayer praising God, and Paul ends his prayer glorifying and praising God. This is a great formula, a great part of a formula for any of us, all of us to pray, right? Because in verse 14, he bows down. He says, I'm praying to the God from whom we all derive our name because he is the only God. He's the one who has riches and glory. Now he's going to close his prayer. And he says, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or think. You know what? At some point, Christian, if you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you're like me. I hope not. But sometimes we get way too familiar with Jesus. He is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that I could ask or think. Sometimes I just don't ask enough. Sometimes I just don't ask enough. Um, yeah. Sometimes I just don't believe enough. Oh, pastor, did you just say that? 
Yeah. Because he is able to do far more abundantly than anything I could ask or think according to the power that works within us. The power that God chooses to share with you if you invite him in is the power that he will use to do so much more than you and I could ever even think or ask. We just need to ask. Sometimes I just need to ask. Sometimes I just need to believe. If I believe like that, I'll be more grateful. If I believe like that, I'll stop whining and complaining. If I believe like that, I'll treat you better today than I did yesterday. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. So again, Paul is addressing individual believers who make up the church and his one prayer request is that God will give them the power and the strength so that when Jews and Gentiles come together in the church, no longer will they try to kill each other, but they'll love one another in Christ and be an example to a world that needs to see the love of Jesus. So individual believers living this out with the love of Christ dwelling in you, giving God permission and living in obedience to, to God's moral character, being filled up by the Holy Spirit in your inner man day by day with the power and the strength that you and I need. Praising God for His power that is working in us. Friends, listen, I just shared a few things with you from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And I'm not even going to pretend. I, I need all that. You say all that. And you know, I, I, I want to pray this week. You know, I, I want to take some things out of my heart and leave some room for, for Christ to dwell there richly, renewing me in the inner man. Some of you say, man, I could use that, I could use that power this week, Pastor.